Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. And thank you for joining us once again. Welcome back to the Dead Parent Club podcast. Each week we're going to be talking about what it's like to be members of the Dead Parent Club and also chatting to brilliant guests about their grieving journeys. We'll also be hearing from people far more qualified than us who are here to help you as you navigate this new normal. So welcome to the Dead Parent Club. This week, we are joined by Oakwood solicitors Catherine Booth Law to take us through the legal side of things, and she has a very apt last name to go with it. <laughs> Probably not the first or the last time she's going to hear that. <laughs> Catherine's <laughs> going to be giving us advice this week about wills and probate and how to make it easier after or before a loved one dies. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Blessed. Yeah, thank you so, so much for joining us because this is something that so many people, myself and Kat included, wish we'd known about before our parent or close loved one passed away. So for anyone who's listening right now, who's unsure, you know, what a will is and why you need them, can you just give (laughs) us a brief overview as to what the purpose of them is and why they're so important, please, Catherine? Of course. So a will itself is a legal document which allows you to set down exactly what you would like to happen upon the date of your death. So the moment that you write your will and you sign it, it's legally valid, but it won't come into effect until the date you passed away, which allows you to change it if you want to within your lifetime, should your circumstances change, Um, which I know can be quite daunting. We get people that come and think they have to cover every single scenario that might possibly happen in their lifetime, but rest assured it can be updated. Um, So within the will itself, you're wanting to express um where the belongings you have are to pass upon the date of your death, whether it be what you think is really obvious that it's going to go to a spouse or civil partner and then down to children, or whether it be more complicated. Maybe you have children from a previous relationship. You want to safeguard some assets for them. You can include things such as funeral wishes. It's not legally binding, but can be a great help for, Mm. for friends and family. How old do you have to be to make a will, Catherine? Because I think there's this perception that, oh, you don't start writing a will till you're at least 50. But I know I myself got mine done up when I was 26. I'm ready and ready to go. Yeah. Do do you need like assets to create a will? Not necessarily. I know most people think that there isn't a point making a will until they have an asset. But we always say, unfortunately, we don't know what's going to happen to us Mm. at any time. So it's always best to be prepared. If you know that in the future should I own a house or I'm in the process of and you know where it's going to go what's stopping you making a will now especially if you have the time to do it so really you can have a will from 18 upwards Um, we do sometimes find that adult children will come to us and maybe they've inherited at a young age and at 18 mm-hmm. they've suddenly come into a sum of money and at that time it's probably best to think about potentially what they how they want it to pass on should the worst happen to them 
And you know, you said about um, you can update it at any time. I realise we're bombarding you with a lot of questions <laughs> straight away here, yeah, Catherine. Straight into it. How does that work then? Because I've never updated my will, but I probably should. But is it a pick up the phone job? So my will is in Hull. It's at a solicitor's in Hull and I'm nowhere near there. So how would I go about updating my will, for example? So we hope you will have received a copy of it if they're storing the original. If you haven't, then it's easy enough. You could just contact them and ask them to send you a copy of the will for you to look through. We do advise clients to look at their will at least every three years or should in within that time something big happen. And this maybe... face right now is a picture. <laughs> hey. Now the time. Talk about it now. Right, so guys, if... I'll be back in a minute. I'm just going to get on the phone. <laughs> Go on, Catherine. So if something happens, so maybe you are going to have children, expecting children, you're purchasing a property, even if the three years haven't passed. Again, just get it out, have a read through it, check you're still happy with it, and if you are, you can put it away. Um, I'm pretty sure as well that the solicitors that drafted it or will write whoever prepared it would be happy to answer any questions that you have because it's not uncommon that maybe you forgot what certain clause than you will was mm. when you wrote it yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to kind of like go into this more kind of at the end of the episode on people that are listening to give them some advice on like where you begin what the first steps are prices how much it costs like there's so many questions I think that none of it I for one I've thought about doing a will but I've never actually kind of gone through the steps and it seems like a really daunting process so I'm really looking forward to getting into that but obviously this is the dead parent club so most people listening have um, unfortunately lost a parent or parents, or we also get people listening who have terminally ill parents, or, you know, like in mine and Emma's case, we've still got a parent who at some point will pass. So I think it'll be really good for us to kind of start with once somebody passes away, what are the steps that you have to take with regards to kind of just starting that process? Yeah, good question. So we would say start right at the beginning, which will be registering their death. How to go about it now is slightly different due to COVID. Mm. But in normal times, you would receive a cause of death certificate, which you would then ring up your local registrar, which you can just get their details from looking at your local council website or contacting council. Making an appointment with them and going down to see them face to face, that's where it differs now. Mm. So if you go down face to face, the cause of death certificate will be sent directly to your local registrar and they will bring you to make a telephone appointment. You'll need your photo ID, the cause of death certificate, and they're just going to be asking you questions about your loved one, such as the date of death, the date of birth, their address, their full name. If you have that ready with you, that then starts the process of getting the death certificate, which you mm. will need really before you do anything else. We say it's up to you as to when you start getting involved in the nitty gritty of sorting through a loved one's affairs. We get a lot of clients who, I always say to clients, it seems so morbid that we talk so coldly about finances mm. assets when you've lost somebody. We say take the time, there's no immediate rush to do anything like that. Maybe you want to concentrate on organising the funeral. But should you decide that you want to go ahead and sort everything out, once you've got that death certificate, You'll also be given a unique reference code, which allows you to go onto a website called Tell Us Once. It's a fantastic website that was set up, which allows you to notify government bodies all at once online, mm. rather than you having to write directly to each individual um, mm. organisation. That's brilliant. That is yes. brilliant. So, and also most of the information that you gave your local registrar is all that you need when you go onto this Tell Us Once service. So sometimes I say to clients, maybe you just want to do that and then close the book, put it to the side, mm. have the funeral and then potentially deal with everything else, yeah. which would be, we say, start by gathering all the paperwork that you can find that your loved one holds. Maybe go to the property. It might be your loved one was super organised. They've got it all in a box and um, you sift through that. Or it could be that you're rifling through looking for any type of letters that you can find. And we said that's stressful, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And also, it feels intrusive when you're, you maybe you're a family who openly talk about finances, but I know a lot of family, I mean, who does have a conversation around the table about who you're back <laughs> with? Um, but yes, letters and paperwork, I say, start off with that, and you're going to be writing to each of them, sending them a copy of the death certificate. 
um, telling them when your loved one's passed away and what they will do is they will write back to you and tell you either you don't have to do anything, we've updated our records, you don't need to do anything further, or they will send you more than likely a form to say, thank you very much, we need X, Y and Z from you now. All these organisations will usually have a bereavement team who are very good at mm. answering questions and coming back to you pretty quickly. With that in mind then, Catherine, how do you specifically find out if someone has a will and what do you do if they don't have one? We get asked that a lot. So if they have a will, we would say start off by, again, looking through their paperwork. Hopefully you will either find a copy will or you might come across the original. You'll know if it's the original just by looking at the signing page to see whether you can tell if the ink's dry or whether it's been photocopied. On the will itself, usually it will have on the front page or where your loved one signed the details of the person who prepared the will, which will help you then to maybe then, okay, we need to contact that solicitor or it might be as the witness's data that they are a legal assistant of a certain firm. I'd start by contacting them first to see if they hold the will. If you can't find a copy will, which does happen a lot, you have a feeling that they did have a will, we say start off by contacting your local solicitors who potentially your loved one's more than likely to have contacted mm. to write a will. Again, if you have no luck with that, there are other ways to go about it. So it might be that your loved one had registered their will at, um, there's a website called Certainty, which you can contact them. and They will send a um, notification out to all the solicitors to say, do you hold a will oh, for wow. this person? Is that all the solicitors in the country? It's the ones who have signed up to it, which to be honest are most solicitors, wow. because sometimes we often have to use their services as well ourselves. Mm. You would think that it would be an online process by now, you know, kind of having wills stored online and kind of going to like maybe a government body to kind of give those details to access it. It seems quite like archaic, you know, like like an app or something. There's surely a space in the market for a a, a will app. Is there not here, guys? (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. That's the way forward. (laughs) There is a national register which people can pay where they write their will to log their will online so yes again i've checked the national register it's just for cases where you're not having any luck with that and i'd almost say last resort is putting an advert in the papers and just seeing if anybody is aware of where it's crazy isn't it because like you kind of you kind of go through your life like taking out like credit cards or like debit cards, shopping cards and bank accounts left right and center and like the idea of somebody having to locate every single last one of these things and then trying to find where you've put your will <laughs> must just be yeah it's, it's such a such a mad thought to kind of have to go through all of those things it's just at a super stressful time it's more stress on top of what you don't need which is why mm. hopefully having this discussion allows everyone to have those awkward discussions with family members and friends and also looking at what you can do for yourself to make it more simple for your what, loved ones. What what happens then, Catherine? You go hunting. Oh, I'm sure they've got a will, but turns out no will. What happens then, if particularly if they have assets? Yes. So if there's no will, then what happens is it's established that your loved one is it's called died intestate, and their estate will then follow the rules of intestate. And all that means is these rules are there to sort of dictate where somebody's estate is going to go. Mm -hmm. So it's set in stone. So if somebody passed away, we would look at whether they they had a spouse or a civil partner. That's the first part of call. If they don't have a spouse or civil partner, do they have children? And you're looking at really their family tree. um, Mm -hmm. And it goes in a certain order as to who's going to inherit or who's going to deal with the estate which again can cause problems for some people because the rules of intestacy are very black and white and don't take into consideration people's actual circumstances. Maybe you're estranged from some of your family and you wouldn't want them necessarily to inherit or to deal with with your estate. So the takeaway point is get your will in order while you can. (laughs) But obviously, you know, a lot of us would think, me included, written a will, that's it, boxed off, done, if I die, my family's sorted, they can see it and find it. Mm. 
Are there any things that mean, that change the will, that make the will null and void, or where you'd have to renew your will by law to make it remain? Yeah, so if you were to get married or enter into a civil partnership, your will as it stands, if you have one, would be automatically made void upon the date of that marriage or civil Mm. partnership, which not a lot of people know about. We try to tell people, but I think as well, when you're concentrating on getting married, sometimes updating your will can seem like the most unromantic thing to discuss at that time. <laughs> now I understand though, right, why in so many films you have like the man or the woman that's trying to get the money from the partner and they kill them off straight after the wedding. Like yeah. I always thought, why do they just get that straight away? But obviously it's because their wills are unavoid. This is the plot. But mm. there's, <laughs> there's ways to go about it. So you can include a clause in your will. If you know when you're going to get married at some point in the future to a certain person, we can include a clause which says, your will is in, made in, a, in expectation of that marriage or civil partnership, so it would stop it becoming void mm. if that marriage then took place. Also, if you were to divorce or enter into separation, your will doesn't become void, but where you've named that spouse or civil partner, it would still be valid until the date that the, the divorce has gone through. Mm. So again, look to update your will if you don't intend for them at that point to inherit. Which again, wow. we all say, I hope nothing will happen to me between this time and the date mm. that the divorce. You just will. never know. You just never know. I'm speaking for children or young people who maybe are listening to this now and have one parent left and they've lost another parent, say. That parent's got a new partner, right? And that partner moves in. I'm creating a full scenario in my head here. Um, <laughs> and say they've lived together for three years, right? But that person's will still says, if anything happens, this goes to my child. Because they've lived together, you hear rumours and stories, and I'm sure you've heard them Mm. all, that they are entitled to that money without it even changing in the will and without marriage. Is that right? So it all depends on the circumstances. So maybe should the um, new partner have moved in and they have paid at all towards the mortgage Mm. or they've paid towards potentially renovations to the house, then yeah, they could argue that they have a right to some of the property. It does get murky. Most of our clients, to be honest, tend to be people who are in second or going on with relationships with children from previous ones because it does get a little bit more complicated, but there are ways to make it fair and legal to sort out between them. The main thing is that when you are in a second relationship you just want to be wary of any potential challenges to your estate and having that discussion there and then with them mm-hmm. um to safeguard really your your children or if you don't have any children other members of your family that you want to get your your estate yeah i know that some people might be listening to this who have had like a really sort of terrible time after somebody's passed with issues around wills and probate and things like that so like what would you say one if somebody's going through that what their most sensible step is like who should who they should approach or the things that they'll have to do to kind of resolve that situation and two what can people do to avoid those situations if they've got like a terminally ill parent at that time if you are having trouble at the moment with an estate, it may be more complicated than what you're expecting. Contact a solicitor or legal advisor who works in wills and probate. And most solicitors will provide initial free advice, whether that be a free 30 minutes. So don't be scared to ring mm. up just to ask those questions that you might have. They're likely to ask you again whether there's a will and if you are able to get a will to send a copy just so that we know what the legal situation is. We'll ask you for a bit of background information and hopefully based on whatever your circumstances are, we can either say, you know, going forward, you need to do X, Y, Z, or it might be that, okay, you do have a claim against an estate and this is what we're going to do for you. So yeah, I'd say go seek legal advice if you're concerned. Um, about how mistakes being dealt with. Yeah, I think I think there's two. There could be two ways of looking at it, though. So one, if somebody is terminally ill, what are the things that you can put in place together if they're kind of compass mentis at that time to kind of make things smoother? 
But the other side of that would be then if somebody is terminally ill with something like Alzheimer's or, you know, how that can then affect the process afterwards as well. Yes. So you want, again, to think about hammering home wills. But if your loved one has a will already, maybe just now's the time to get it out, check that Mm. they're still happy with it. It might be that you just put it away. Or if it needs updating, updating a will, again, doesn't have to be massively complicated. It could just be that there's a a little minor amendment that they want to make, Mm. which we can do via what's called a codicil, which means you still have your will, you're just doing a separate legal document which changes that little element of your will so that their wishes are met. Or if they don't have a will at all, again, discuss it with them and see, again, speak to a solicitor if they are concerned about instructing a solicitor to prepare a will we'll all provide free legal advice and hopefully put their mind at ease as to mm. how we can help going forward when we mention alzheimer's again it, it can depend on uh, diagnosis because of the cost of getting a document called a lasting power of attorney so we wouldn't want you to incur that fee if you're not going to have to use it in the end. But a lasting power attorney is a great document for your loved one to decide who's going to help them manage their finances um, in their lifetime should they become unable to do so. Maybe they lose capacity Mm. um, physically or mentally and can't do it. Or maybe they actually are able to deal with it, but they they don't want to. Mm. They've got enough going on and they're happy for you to ring up certain people on their behalf. And it's just that legal authority which says, I sign this document because I'm giving this person authority to speak on my behalf. They're really good documents to have. There's one that you can get for health and welfare decisions as well, which would only come into effect should they lose mental capacity. And it allows their attorney to speak to medical professionals on their behalf whether that be about ongoing medical treatment or the right to refuse treatment. We hope that your attorneys are going to be the people that you trust the most and also know you the best, the most, so that should you be unable to voice your decisions, they know that in that scenario what you would have asked for. And again, if you don't want to do a lasting power attorney for health and welfare, we get some clients who say, I wouldn't want to give that responsibility to a loved one to have to make mm. decisions for me. Whilst they have capacity to do so, they can do what's called an advanced directive or a living will is what it's called as well, which is separate to the wills that we discussed, which deal with where your assets are supposed to go. It's a document which deals with what type of treatment you would refuse to receive should you be diagnosed or in a situation potentially you're in a vegetative state and if you wanted to refuse certain treatments so do not resuscitate you're able to make that decision take the responsibility away from your loved one and it's a legal document so it'd be registered with your your doctor be put on their system let your loved ones know that you have it so that should unfortunately you be in a situation where decisions need to be made they can show this living will to the medical professionals involved. What happens, Catherine, I realise I'm putting you on the spot here, if, say, a loved one has Alzheimer's, uh, they don't have the mental capacity to write a will or to explain what it is they want, and there's someone listening to this now going, I simply don't know what to do when the inevitable happens. What would happen for them? Because that will be the case for quite a lot of people. Yeah, unfortunately, it does happen, I think, Again, we're having this discussion talking about what what we're going to do now for ourselves, but should it be that somebody lived their life, maybe they haven't seen the importance of making a will or as life gets in the way, we don't get round to it, which is quite often the case. Should it be at the time where unfortunately they don't have the capacity to instruct somebody to do a lasting power of attorney or write a will for them? the option to go down then would be to make an application to the court of protection. So unlike a lasting power of attorney where you yourself, your loved one is saying, I'm making this lasting power of attorney and I'm instructing so-and-so to be my attorney, your court of protection is your loved one's applying on your behalf to the court of protection to say, my loved one doesn't have capacity, I'm applying to be their deputy. 
which is the same thing as an attorney. It's just a different name given when a court appoints. We prefer Latin powers of attorney because they are cheaper um, and they don't take as long to get. But rest assured that should you be in a situation where your loved one doesn't have capacity, don't panic because there is that option to go down the court protection route. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. What happens if I'm going into every eventuality here? <laughs> But what happens if there's a family feud? Because unfortunately it happens. And yeah. the person has Alzheimer's and two people write for the same thing, but don't get on and both want that. How does that work when that arrives? So there's two different scenarios. So should it be that it's a Latin power of attorney and they are attorneys appointed but now aren't getting along now that they're being asked to make decisions on their behalf? If it's so bad that they just can't work it out, the Office of the Public Guardian, their main concern is always for the loved one's best interests. So should it be causing so much trouble that decisions aren't able to be made because they're at loggerheads, the Office of the Public Guardian often step in and say, you either need to decide together who's going to act or you're going to have to apply to the Court of Protection to then appoint somebody that the court approves to act as a deputy. Again, if it's the court, the court of Protection and there's a deputy involved, and at that time the deputies aren't getting along, again, an application would need to be made and the Court of Protection is always going to act in your loved one's best interest. So whether it be that they say, I can't see any of you getting along in the future, no matter what we argue about, they don't want to incur costs because again that's not in the best interest of your loved one it might be that they say we're going to appoint a mutual body so whether that be a professional deputy it might be a solicitor an accountant that steps in instead to act death is well complicated in it guys it is in conclusion what, what if someone's got negative equity in the house that you get or they've got debts are you accountable for any of those debts once that loved one dies no so you're your debt is personal to you so as long as when you're dealing with an estate whether that be that you're appointed as an executor under a will that's just the legal terminology that you will see in somebody's will they'll say i appoint x to be my executor or you're the next of kin there was no will so you're acting under the rules of intestacy maybe you are the surviving spouse civil partner or or child then you will be in charge of making sure that you've notified everyone of your loved one's passing, that you have been notified of any debts that may be payable and also any assets in the estate. As long as you have notified everybody that you've made an effort to pay off debts from the assets that are in the estate, then you will not be personally liable. It will always be a debt of the estate. But you would have to say, say the house was in negative equity then, you would have to like sell that house to pay that debt off. Yeah. yeah. Yes. If there's no other ways, maybe sometimes you have it where a loved one's had a policy payout, a life insurance policy, potentially, which actually usually falls outside of an estate, it's, it's separate to everything else you're dealing with. If there's enough money there to pay off a mortgage, 
and you're wanting to keep the house, there may be alternatives. But if there isn't there, potentially it might be that you have to sell the house so that that debt's paid off. I was going to ask, so if someone dies and they have got, you, I'm going to use my mum as an example here. So my mum didn't have a job basically her, her whole life. So she died with no assets really to her name whatsoever would there be anything that anybody could do to seek support for like funeral costs solicitors costs that kind of thing if it was needed if there was literally no way of of paying for that other than take out a credit card yes in terms of funeral expenses we often find when we're dealing with a state where there aren't any assets or there aren't a lot of assets to pay for potentially a funeral that you'd, you'd hope for Speak to the funeral director because um, I know this is completely dependent on what the funeral director is happy mm. to do. But usually a lot of them are very flexible and work with families to say, OK, what are we looking at? What was your hope for the funeral? Mm. OK, this is what we can offer for X amount. And they're usually very good at working with families. Okay. In terms of solicitor's fees, if an estate had no money in it, it's unlikely that you'd need us to be involved. Mm. So potentially there might be no cost involved at all with a solicitor. So if it was just that you wanted to ring a solicitor to say, this is my situation, there are no assets, what do I do? Again, mm. it's more than likely that a solicitor would give you free advice. Is there anything people can do if they have both of their parents, say if one earns nothing and the other is the sole breadwinner to have that kind of I don't know so that they do have some sort of assets when they die somebody could get inheritance from somebody it could be that somebody comes to us they don't work but it might be that maybe they're married the house has been in their Mm. their partner's name this happens quite a lot actually because at the time maybe they weren't able to get a mortgage out in joint names but their Mm. intention was always to both have a right to yeah. the house so it might be that they wish to change maybe they've paid off the mortgage now but it's still in the breadwinner's sole name it mm. might be they want to change the way that they own the house so that both names are, ne- are on the register of title yeah. so that they are leaving something and they're protecting themselves yeah. we don't know what's going to happen with families should the other spouse decide to form another relationship mm. but hang on a second that I've you know brought up the family in that house or you know I've yeah. um, contributed to the house in other ways maybe not financially it's all about protecting themselves so yes changing the way that you own a house is one option interesting it, it might be that you um decide to take out a life insurance policy and again, that might be a way you're paying monthly towards it. So I know you've got to have the means to do that during your lifetime. Yeah. But yeah. that's a way of leaving a sum of money to your loved ones as well. And what happens if, another scenario for you here, Catherine, <laughs> if um, hypothetically I'm married and I have two children and I die and I, in my will, have left everything to my spouse and my children, then my spouse moves on and gets married and then my spouse dies. Who gets that money then? The children or the new partner? If your spouse did not update their will when they got remarried, then it would go to the new spouse. That's but happened a lot, I bet. Yes, it has. It's, there are rules involved. So should they, at that point, they're seen as dying in test state because their will is void. Mm. So should your children be minor children under the age of 18, then under the intestacy rules, they will receive something. But of course, you don't want to leave it to fate. That's when it when it gets mm. messy. There are ways we'd hope that your spouse would write a new will. It's likely that they do want their new partner to inherit something. This happens a lot, actually. But there are ways that you can make sure your new partner gets something whilst also safeguarding assets for your children from a previous relationship. We'd hope that that was the case and we would explain to them how, again, they can do something with the ownership of properties. They might wish to give gifts in their will to children before leaving everything else to the new partner. There's lots of ways around it. We sometimes get it where a couple comes to us, they've just got married, but they both have children from previous relationships 
and actually they've come into the relationship with their own assets mm. so it's not always too doom and gloom and they're both agreeing that basically they want to protect their assets for their children so again if someone's in that situation ask them to go seek advice and they'll be given numerous options on what they can do and deciding what they based on what they want their wishes to be what to include in their will to make it happen just wondering obviously as a solicitor and dealing with these kind of like high pressure situations of when people are grieving and it's highly like emotional state are you trained at all on how to talk to grieving people and how to manage those situations or do you have to learn on the job because I can imagine it being if you're like new to the job and you have to kind of call somebody whose parent just died or a child just died that's very it's a lot of pressure if you if you haven't experienced anything like that yourself. Having worked in the department for a few years now with the area of law that I do it's what we do on a daily basis so not that you become immune to it at all because mm. every scenario is completely different but yes you've learned tactics and how to speak to people and not presume things ever but to be honest a lot of it is learning on the job there is training mm. out there you know how to speak to clients I think a lot of it might come naturally to some people and mm. um, to others not so much but it's hard almost to receive training when we do find that every situation we have is completely different to the other yeah. whether it be that we're dealing with um someone who's passed away who was an elderly client and it was expected in a way yeah. to someone where it's been a sudden unexpected death and the family are having to you know okay. come to terms with everything all at once come speak to solicitors when they've not even taken into consideration that their loved one has just passed away have you had many young people coming to you whose both parents have passed and they're, you know, 18 to kind of 30s, it's kind of suddenly thrown into the situation where they have to do all this legal stuff? Um, I've had not many where they've lost both parents and they've been quite young. I have had some who mm. um, have been amazing, actually, at what they've been able to deal with. Mm. Um, and I often find that the youngest they are with everything now being online and they're more savvy <laughs> they are yeah. they are more savvy um they're not scared to google things um or mm. use other search engines to find out what to do <laughs> so yeah i actually i find that they are the ones who also when it's maybe um or an older person that's dealing with it that they often get their younger family members to help yeah. and yeah. that can often be the case What's the crack with inheritance tax, Catherine? How does that work? And, and can you avoid it? I don't mean to sound bad, but is there like a way of... <laughs> no, what I mean is like, can you, you know, you mentioned like a gift that if you want to yeah. give yeah. something to your children. Yeah. Like, what do you recommend as a package before you die? Package deal. Yes, we don't yeah. want to avoid tax, but evade tax, but we want to uh, be That's tax it. savvy. Um, so yeah, there are things that you can do to plan for inheritance in your lifetime so we all get given an allowance of it doesn't sound like very much and um, all these things can change but at the moment we can each give three thousand pounds per mm. year to either one individual or you can split it up between however many people you want but caps at three thousand pounds that's tax-free you can also give gifts on anniversaries so birthdays Christmas if you can prove that it's reasonable within the amount that you have so don't all of a sudden give £10,000 if usually <laughs> you only give £50 and try and argue that it's an anniversary present I don't think that'll go down too well um, <laughs> and then also upon your passing we each have a tax-free allowance of £325,000 and again this is currently whether it changes or not i don't know but at the moment it's three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds if we are married or in a civil partnership then upon our death our allowance if it hasn't been used up by giving gifts to other people if everything's going to a spouse our allowance passes to them so then upon their death they get given a double so it's six hundred and Free. There's an additional one, a nice complicated one, which is what's called a residence mill rate band, which is an allowance which currently in this tax year, it's £175,000. And that's for people who own a property at the date of their death as their main residence and so not a second property. 
and again that £175 can be applied to the value of your property so should it be more then potentially you might have to pay tax on that or should it be less so it's maybe £150,000 your house is worth that £25 doesn't carry on to anything else it's solely for your house you'd lose that mm. 25 yeah. five grand if you have an estate that's over that amount so we say if you're married or in a civil partnership and you are leaving everything to each other upon the second death really your estate's got to be worth over a million pounds to have inheritance tax to pay and, mm -hmm. and at that point it's 40 percent over mm. one million 40 percent so, yeah. wow 40 percent. so there are things you can do in your lifetime to plan whether you want to speak to an independent financial advisor on mm what you can do in your lifetime, whether that be gifting, then it's certainly worth it. And also, yes, there are things you can include in wills to make the most out of the allowances that you're given. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what my, my partner's grandparent does, like gifts stuff. <laughs> you hear about it a lot. <laughs> okay, it, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. And it's something that you just don't think about. You don't think about and then it happens mm. and you go, oh my God, what do we do? What? Where do we even begin with the money, the yeah. house? You wouldn't even think of it as like separate entities. You think that it's all just one sum. The house is worth this and then we've got the money in the yeah. bank. That is one thing. You don't realise... There's so many different elements to it, aren't there? Thank Catherine. God for probate listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God for you, Catherine. Yeah. Um, what would you say? Because there's probably things that Kat and I don't know about. Is there anything that shocks people or anything that we haven't brought up where you go, you should really know this? I think a lot of people don't realise what a will does in the sense that they think, well, I just want everything to go to my my spouse and then down to my children so I don't need a will and you say but actually within a will you decide who gets to deal with your your estate it might be that you think well I want my spouse to do it but what if they can't what mm. if they are in a mental mind frame at the time of your passing and they can't think of anything worse than having to contact bank who else would you like to help mm. be your executor it's called to deal with the estate you can include that in your will if you have minor children in your will, you can include guardianship. So who will take care of your children if you and maybe the other parent mm -hmm. pass away whilst they're under 18? And again, you don't just have to think of one person. I know that can be extremely overwhelming to think, who on earth am I handing my child over to? <laughs> That's bad. Now, you can again appoint maybe um, a few family members or loved ones that you want yeah. to make the decision together um, to make to decide who will take care of your child. Covered lasting powers of attorney. I think, again, when we're talking about young adults, I think a lot of young adults maybe think, why do I need to think about a lasting power of attorney now? Like, surely it's when I might be potentially diagnosed with dementia later mm. on in life. But actually, a lasting power of attorney can be so useful if you're going on holiday and um, maybe you're in the process of buying a property and whilst you're away, something needs to be signed on your behalf. You don't want to rush back and you don't want to delay it. If you have a lasting power of attorney in place, you could oh, just wow. have it be used for that specific transaction. And then you get the document back because you don't want it to be used anymore. They're really, really useful documents to have. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Is, I would not have known that. That is fascinating. Purple? Mm. Yes. Um, what happens if a parent or loved one's in prison? Just in terms of so what happens if my dad's in prison and he dies my dad's not in prison Poor Nick. but i'm thinking <laughs> there could be yeah sorry big nick um but there could be people listening whose parent is in prison or someone close to them is in prison and they pass away do the rules differ or what about if the person whose parent has passed is in prison do the rules differ with what they're entitled to and stuff not at all no they're exactly the same so if you die anywhere within England and Wales and they are domiciled, so they count England and Wales, the UK, as their, their residence, whether that be that they are in prison within the UK, then the rules, the laws don't change. It's exactly the same. So whether it be that they have a will, and again, you can write wills whilst you're in prison, nothing's stopping you from, from doing so, will sometimes be asked to speak to a client or go visit a client mm. that wants to make a will or make a lasting power of attorney. Again, if you have 
a parent is in prison, who's helping them with their finances? Mm. They can't potentially access them themselves. Maybe they don't have access to a phone or they find it difficult mm. to find documents. Get them to have a lasting power of attorney so that somebody on the outside can help them still manage their finances. Mm. And I just noted what you said there, as long as they're in this country. What happens, sorry, I know I'm asking a load of questions, (laughs) but what happens if my grandparents live in Mexico and they both die, but I'm their only living relative? How does that work there because they're in another country? So if Mexico is deemed as their domicile, which means that they were residing in Mexico, they had no intention of coming back to England and Wales and all their assets were in Mexico their estate will fall under the rules of that country, which I won't be able to advise on because I'm, uh, I'm not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a time with what do you mean you don't know the rules in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it will fall under their laws. So some countries are completely different to England. In England, we have testamentary freedom, which means that you can decide what you want to do with your estate. You don't have to give it to your children. You don't have to give it to your husband or wife, civil partner, you can decide whoever you wish. Maybe you want to give it all to charity. It's completely up to you where certain countries, even if you'd maybe written it down in a legal document that you wanted it to go to X, their rule might say, no, it has to go to Y. So yes, you'd have to speak to a solicitor of that country and find out how the estate is going to be dealt with. Catherine, I feel like we've completely and utterly picked your brains. You have been sensational. I learned so much. I feel like the final thing that we need to ask you, because it's something I think all of us need to do, I need to do it. As a young adult listening to this, if I don't have a will, what do I need to do to get one? How much does it cost? Give me a quick breakdown, like a one to five guide on setting up a will. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want a solicitor to prepare a will, um, we all have to be transparent with our fees. So if you, at this point, don't feel comfortable speaking to a solicitor on the phone, look on our website. So it's more than likely that you'd find it useful to contact a local solicitor um, because hopefully when we're allowed, we can meet face-to-face if that's mm. what you would prefer. Look on their website. They, w- they should have their fees on there. As I say, we have to be transparent. If you can't find them, again, there's other means. It might be you want to contact us by phone, email or web chat, whatever you feel comfortable with you will be told the fee straight away. So, What's the average Walmart kind of price for a will? Your, stand, so for a, your standard will. A standard, <laughs> so a standard will, and when I say standard, it's usually because you're not wanting to put any trusts in there. Mm. Um, you're wanting it to go to this person. If that person passed away, you want it to go to this person. Yeah. Then it, it starts usually around £150 plus the AP. Mm-hmm. If you give us your circumstances and we potentially think you might want to do something different we would advise you of that and say if you wanted to do this then this will be the additional yeah. fee you'll you should always be told before the person preparing the will goes ahead and just prepares it yeah says, right this is your bill you're paying the x amount <laughs> so that's the standard bill for a single person if you are in a couple you're making wills together and your wills and you don't have to be married or in a civil partnership to be classed as making what's called mirror wills. It could just be that you're making wills together and they pretty much reflect each other's wishes. Mm. Um, so maybe they're all going to each other in the first instance and then you're each saying where it's to go upon the death of the both of you. The price tends to start, again, for a standard mirror will at £250 plus the AT. Yeah. I think that's pretty cheap given the hassle it can save. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like for, I'd rather pay like 250 plus VAT, what's that, 300 or 200 if you're a single person now and know that my family, if I can afford mm. that, I'd rather pay that and know that my family are not dealt this blow of going, Ugh, yeah. where do we even start when, when mm. I've popped it? Um, and also file file your uh, statements, guys. Yeah, All of your house yeah. stuff. <laughs> file yeah, everything. <laughs> if you're not sure whether you even want a will, but you're wanting to discuss it, again, as I said, it doesn't cost as much as people think, oh, I'm going to ring a solicitor and all of a sudden they're going to see pound signs and the bill's going to start going. It won't. We won't just charge you for ringing us. We'll always set, we usually always provide free initial advice, at least 30 minutes. 
if your matter is more complicated, we're still going to speak to you about it, but say, if you want to know anything further, I can advise you mm. further, but this will be the fee for doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kat, what, what you said in terms of making it easier for your loved ones, just be organised. We say, mm-hmm. when I say that we often go to people's houses and we're just picking up whatever paperwork yeah. we can find, if you have a folder which you have, um, even if you want to write down, we say sometimes you can get a booklet and you write down, I you have an account with um, X person, this is my account number, maybe you then close that account in the future, put a cross through it mm. so that it's up to date rather than us. That's having- a good idea. Yeah, write to people who you closed the account with 10 years ago. It's a working document. And with this digital age, maybe you also want to write down in a secure place what your passwords are Mm. for for social media. Maybe you don't want certain family members to go onto your social media to sort those out. So maybe you specifically (laughs) say, these are the people that I'd like to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Thanks, Catherine. Is there yeah, anything else you'd you like to much. ask, Kat? I, th- I think we've. I think honestly, Catherine, I'm all questioned out. To be honest, you have covered <laughs> so much there, so yeah. so much. Yeah. I mean, although you can guarantee there will still be questions coming into the Dead Parent Club podcast. So, yeah, if 100%. there are, Catherine, can we please have you on at another time? Because you of have course. been so insightful and wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you've been brilliant. Of course, everybody's circumstance is completely different. So mm. I. I can appreciate that I won't have covered everybody's circumstance. So yeah, please feel free to to let me know if there's well, any more questions. We've covered prison, Mexico, yeah. all sorts. <laughs> so I think we've covered most bases. Catherine Booflaws, thank you so so much for joining us on the Dead Parent Club podcast. Remember, yeah. you can reach out if you want to talk to us. If you've got any suggestions or questions that you'd like us to cover in future. Yep, 100%. You can drop us an email at hello at deadparentclub.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at deadparentclubpodcast, Twitter at DPC Podcast, on Facebook on the same as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.